You can be seated. How many of you could just sit and listen and read all day? Yep, yep, yep. I mean, I just could, just could be good. Uh, before I begin with uh, introducing a new series and the sermon today, um, I want to mention one thing. So uh, today, after uh, the service, for all college students, there's a lunch next door in the youth building. So we have like a whole Montreat section over here. Uh, yeah, it's good to see you guys. All of you from Montreat, would you stand just real fast? Look at this. Isn't this cool? Yes. Absolutely. And so uh, 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 just glad to have you this morning. But all college students don't have to be a Montreat student. Lunch uh, next uh, door as soon as uh, this service is over in the youth building for you. Uh, others, if you're uh, interested in going to Senegal, we have a lunch meeting next door as well. And so this morning I am uh, introducing a new series called uh, uh, Unpacking Forgiveness. There is a book by that name uh, that uh, Alan Michael uh, actually was using, I think, in a seminary class. And he introduced us to it and we began to read it as a staff. Uh, I've read a couple other books in, in the preparation for this. Uh, your time in life groups will be extremely meaningful during this series. And if you're not in a group, as James says, uh, said, find him and get plugged in. He'll be outside as we leave today. Um, forgiveness is uh, a subject that is written and researched a lot, not just in Christian circles. Uh, it is written and researched a lot in secular circles. As a matter of fact, most likely the most famous book on forgiveness was not written by a, an overtly Christian uh, uh, man from an overtly Christian perspective. Uh, but forgiveness remains to be that uh, very difficult thing for uh, all of us at different times. Uh, as I've worked on this series, one of the things I've discovered is that I am able to forgive um, people who hurt me. I struggle more to forgive people who hurt my kids. I've discovered that, that you hurt me, I, I can kind of deal and roll. But you do something to my kids, and it's hard to, uh, to deal with that. As a matter of fact, just uh, in full disclosure, uh, at a certain point in my prep, I've prepared for this series for a couple months now. At a certain point in my prep, I made a list of people that I realized I thought I had forgiven and I hadn't. All right, so I, I thought I had forgiven these people and I hadn't. And uh, without exception, every person on this list had hurt someone that I love. I had forgiven those who had hurt me. I had not forgiven those who had hurt someone that I love. And so whatever it is that you discover and work out in your life group or in a worship service, uh, over the next nine Sundays until the first Sunday of November, we're talking about forgiveness and what it looks like. Nancy DeMoss, in her book, Choosing Forgiveness, tells the story of a, uh, a woman named Regina Hockett. Regina, uh, this happened several years ago in Nashville, Tennessee. She and her 12-year-old daughter had gone to the grocery store. Regina uh, heard a commotion outside and immediately looked to see if her 12-year-old was still by her side. And when she did, uh, uh, little Adrienne was not. And so uh, Adrienne, for her part, had wanted to buy a piece of bubble gum and 
her mom didn't have a quarter, so she had run out to the parking lot to grab a quarter out of, uh, out of uh, the console of her mom's uh, car. What Regina didn't know, what Adrienne didn't know, that was that there were a couple teenage boys who were asserting themselves into a gang, and uh, they had uh, uh, gotten a rifle, an assault rifle, and put it in a car, uh, passenger window down, and uh, they were randomly driving around and discovered this. Uh, uh, they discovered uh, this grocery store. They discovered this parking lot. And they had aimed their rifle at a middle-aged woman uh, to take her out and thus uh, 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 affirm their place in the gang. But somehow they missed, and uh, their bullet hit Adrienne. Uh, Regina didn't know any of this had happened. She was running frantically up and down the aisles of the store uh, and then decided, "I, I need to go outside and when she did, she saw in that bright October sun uh, the reflection of the sun off of her daughter's shoes. And when she did, uh, realized that Adrienne was dead. Twelve-year-old honor student, um, the love of her parents' life lay lifeless. For three years, uh, she didn't know what happened. Nobody knew who it was. Uh, they were in and out with the flash. They were gone. And Regina, who was an ardent follower of Jesus Christ, was faced with a remarkable dilemma. How do I forgive someone who I don't even know who they are? Uh, can I forgive someone who doesn't necessarily ask me to forgive them? What does that look like? We will finish her story. Uh, I do hate to leave you hanging, but... We will finish her story next week. Suffice it to say that while your uh, occurrence may not be near as drastic as, as this one, as Regina's, you've got your own story. You've been deeply hurt. Uh, you've been hurt uh, through a divorce or through unfaithfulness or through uh, a firing. You've been hurt uh, perhaps willfully or perhaps unintentionally. Perhaps when your parents divorced, uh, you uh, went reeling for a while. You were hurt deeply by that. Maybe your hurt was because of some kind of abuse, and you've never, ever even spoken about it out loud. Can you forgive? And if so, how? Today we'll answer the question, why? <clears throat> I will say to you, based on Jesus' own words, that yes, you must forgive. Those are Jesus' words. If you don't, I won't forgive you, he says. There's hardly a clearer statement in all of Scripture. So I would say, based on his words, yes, you must. But I would also say, it's one thing to say that, it's another thing to do it. It is a whole entirely other thing to do that. So what is the basis for our forgiveness? We find it here then in John 1 with three simple principles. Principle number one, Jesus was rejected by the world. Uh, you say, how, why in the world are we going here? Um, and here's why. 
look at this, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Dave, will you do me a favor? My water is right there, and there's something in my throat that makes me need it right now. Thank you. So, um, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. All right, so if you see this phrase, true light, and you're a thinking person, you ought to ask yourself, well, how can light be true or false? Right? Light is either light or it isn't. So when John uses the word true, does he really mean someone else or something else? And the answer is yes. So in the Gospel of John, the word true and false means a couple of different things. When it's with facts, it means true or false. But when it's with the concept right here, like light, which is neither true nor false, it either is or it isn't, then in the Gospel of John, it means ultimate or less. All right, so the true light, uh, you could read ultimate. Let's read it that way. The ultimate light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So if there's an ultimate light, that means there's a dimmer light. All right? So if you have this ultimate light, and John says that was Jesus, then there are dimmer lights. And the question is, what are, it, what are the dimmer lights? And, and why is Jesus referred to as the ultimate light? Let's go to Romans 1, and we'll see the dimmer light. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they, human beings, are without excuse. The dimmer light is creation. All right, so Jesus is the ultimate light, and the dimmer light is creation. Well, what does that tell us? So a week ago, Wendy and I were out of town with the kids, and we were in Atlanta, Georgia. Didn't do vacation this summer because of us going on the Ecuador mission trip, so we trekked away for a weekend. It was a quick one. Left Saturday evening, Sunday morning, we are at the Georgia Aquarium. If you've never been there, you need to go. It's unbelievable. I've been there. It's my third or fourth time. Love it. Absolutely so enjoy it. We're standing there watching these two beluga whales, and they're white whales, and they are as long as cars. And they're in this massive aquarium, and they have a large red elastic band that they're playing tug-of-war with. Really. One's got the, the, the band in, in, in its mouth. The other, it's a mother and, and, and child, whatever you call that in whale life. And so... It's, it's a mother and child, and one's got the, the, the band in his mouth, and the other has the band in her mouth, and they're literally playing tug-of-war, and they're all over the place, and everybody is standing there in awe. And I thought to myself, these people are worshiping without meaning to. What are they doing? They're admiring God's amazing creation. That's a dimmer light. Beluga whales, as long as cars, are dimmer lights. Or my son and I, Trent, he's got his learner's permit. He's bought his first vehicle, too. All right, so he's worked and had to pay his part and buy his first vehicle, and it's a 97 Jeep Wrangler. So we decide, he, he, we decide he's like, he comes home, 
after, after having worked, and uh, he's been in school all day. He ranted all the way home from work about the evils of homework to a guy who gives it. So um, that was, I just let him rant. And he just, the evils of it, and dad, why, 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 why? So he gets home. He sits down at the table. He starts doing his homework, and he's done his homework for one class, and he looks at me, and he says, I need to get out of here. I'm like, all right, son, what do you want to do? Let's go for a ride. I said, okay. And so we go up Curtis Creek. Well, I don't know if any of you have ever been up, to, up Curtis Creek, but it's a paved road up here that becomes dirt, and it goes to the parkway. And so off we go. He and I in the Jeep, Josh Weiss, who's living with us, went with us, and off we go in the Jeep. Top back, and going up there, and it's bumpy road, which he loves. And he's driving, and I'm praying. And uh, <laughs> if you've never parented kids through this, that's what you do. You drive and pray to keep from cussing. And so... Um, <laughs> So that's, I'm praying, and, uh, and we're going up stick shift, and Trent's doing the stick up a mountain, and so we get up to the top, and I said, son, if you turn left here, he said, dad, I just want to go to one of those places where you pull off, and you can see things. I said, that's called an overlook, and, uh, and so uh, we go to one, and we get out, and we stand there, and it's dusk, and the clouds, and the sun is setting, and the clouds are beautiful, and... Uh, my 15-year-old, he said, this is so relaxing. This is amazing. Yeah, it is, son. It really is. And that's a dimmer light. That's a dimmer light. Might we underestimate Jesus? If that is a dimmer light, or this summer being in Ecuador and, and climbing to 14,000 feet, we did, and looking out over the entire city, that's a dimmer light. And according to Romans 1, nobody is without excuse. If you ever are troubled by this, nobody in the world is without excuse because through the dimmer light, it can, if they so will, point them to the ultimate light. What about the ultimate light? Verse 1 of John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So what does that mean? It means that the ultimate light said, Belugahel be. And Belugahel said, reporting for duty. That the ultimate light said, let there be, and there were all that we see. It's pretty amazing. Leon Morris, in his work on the Gospel of John, says two points receive special emphasis. One is the astonishing fact that the Word of God, true God as He is, took upon Him human nature. That's, that's astonishing. And the other is the even more astonishing fact that when He did this, people would have nothing to do with Him. What did people do? They ran from the light. John is concerned that we should miss neither the good news of the incarnation of God nor the tragedy of the human rejection of God. The ultimate light came and we ran like crazy into the darkness. God's love is to be admired not because the world is so big 
but because the world is so bad. Now, people say it's getting worse, right? That the world is getting worse. The world has always been the world. Sin has always been sin, and it's always been awful. And so, let me just fill you in on some things that perhaps you've forgotten. In Jesus' day, if you think the world was better in some way, uh, men referred to women as dogs. Religious men referred to women as dogs. In Jesus' day, tax collectors charged random amounts depending on the, their whim uh, to their own people. They were traitors of the worst kind. In Jesus' day, children were treated like animals and were considered to be totally less than human. In Jesus' day, slavery was not looked down upon at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, half of Rome was considered to be slaves. In Jesus' day, brutal crowds chose a thief to die over an innocent man. The world was a bad place. Jesus came to that world and they chose their badness over his goodness. They chose their sin over his saving. Jesus was rejected by the world. Number two, Jesus was rejected by his own people. Verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Leon Mar says again, he came home where people should have known him. And they said, we don't know you. Imagine that you uh, build a house, you have a wife, you have kids, you build a house, you're a military uh, guy, and you leave to go serve your, your country in the military, and you come home after years of service, you finally get to come home from the war. And when you do, you walk up to the house that you built uh, with the wife that you married and the kids that you uh, 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 fathered, and they look at you as if to say, who are you and what are you doing? here do we know you Jesus came to his own people uh, the Israelites the Jews the the people from whom he descended he came to his own people and his own people looked at him as if to say who are you uh, they didn't just do that. They outright rejected him. They completely denied that they ever knew him. Well, what was the dimmer light for them? Uh, uh, try the whole Old Testament. It gave witness to him. They had a, a, a brighter light, if you will, than the dimmer light of creation. If we're going to put the lights in order, we're going to put uh, creation here. It gets brighter with the revelation of the Old Testament, and it shines full when Christ comes. He is the ultimate light of God. And so they've got a special book uh, called the Old Testament, uh, the the the. the the law is about Christ. The Psalms and the poetry is about him. The prophets predict him. Not only that, there are these amazing theophanies in the Old Testament. God showing up on the scene. How so? Moses, lead my people out. Cloud by day, fire by night. God leading them out. 
Those who rebelled in the wilderness died. The rest needed something to eat. Let's fly in some food. God taking care of his people. How about the fiery furnace? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego walking around. But there's a fourth man in the fire. Christ among them there. You would think he would be so welcome, right? So celebrated. Here he comes. He's coming on the scene. But he came home and they looked at him as if to say, you don't belong here. This is not your house anymore. It's unreal. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Jeremiah 7, 25, from the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, God is talking, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. But third, Jesus was received by a few. Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here is the definition of what it means to receive Christ. You believe in his name. Well, what does that mean? Well, names these days don't mean near as much as they once did, do they? They just don't. All right, so we choose names based on whatever. I mean, just this past week, I don't remember now where I was, but somebody looked at me and went, why did your dad name you Jerry Lewis? <laughs> they did. I don't know. I, I, I wasn't privy to that conversation. I don't have a clue. How about when I present my ID every time I travel? They get two angles. It's either Jerry Lewis or my middle name is Lee. No lie. Every single time I travel, if it's somebody who doesn't, uh, that doesn't know me or I check out at some place, they'll look and they'll grin, and then they'll say, I shouldn't do this, but do you know where Dean Martin is? <laughs> All the time. All the time. They're, they're, it's, it's because of my name. Some of you heard this, but... You know, when you graduate high school and they do that thing, if you hate your name, you hate that day. Why? Because they're going to call out the whole stinking thing, right? They, they, for some reason, they can't know your name by which you're called. No, it's got to be the whole thing. And so I remember the day I graduated, it was 4,000 people stuck in a place that should never have that many people in it, and everybody's sweating and hot, and you just wanted to be on. And, and uh, the, the, Pat Faulkner was her name. She was one of the principals, and she's calling my name out. So she says, Jerry Lee Lewis, no lie, no lie. My dad told me this later. Somebody leaned over to him and said, who'd name their kid Jerry Lee Lewis? <laughs> Ask my dad. My dad said, I leaned over and said, that'd be me. <laughs> but that's what they did. But, but in Jesus' day, believing in the name of Jesus uh, was believing in everything he was about. So when you believe Jesus, you believe he's the son of God who died on the cross for your sins, who rose again, who's coming back. You, you believe he is your redeemer. You believe he's your savior. You, you receive him as Lord. He's, he's the boss. That's what it means to believe in his name. You may not know this, but believing in the name of Jesus is found only 
by John. Only in John and in one John. It's not found anywhere else in all of Scripture. It implies acceptance of Jesus to the full extent of his revelation. When you believe Jesus, you believe him. You believe you put all your eggs in his basket. You're saying, I'm his and he is mine. And perhaps it has never occurred to you. And to me, this is a very sad reality that uh, if you look at across the course of human history, percentage-wise, few people have. And that breaks my heart. If you, if you just think about it, very few people have. In a county in the Bible Belt today, only a third, uh, only two-thirds of our county, uh, a third of our county at the most will go to church today. Two-thirds will not. And this is the Bible Belt. <clears throat> we'll meet this right after this service to talk about going to Senegal, Africa, where the Christian population is about 1% to 2%. So if you have believed in his name, you ought to be so grateful. Shouldn't you? Not arrogant. No. Why? Why me? God, why? So what happens when you believe in his name? You're, you're adopted into his family. Adoption is both a change of status and condition. Our legal status changes. We become God's children. All right, so when you believe in his name, you become his son, you become his daughter, your legal status changes, but our condition changes too. We enjoy his favor. So we become his son or his daughter, but we also get his favor. John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. When you believe in his name, you become the son or daughter, the friend of God. That is unbelievable opportunity. Some of you know uh, our story, mine and Wendy's story, but I want to share, I share this with permission uh, from her and Hannah. So years ago, I was on staff at another church, and, and it was uh, my day to go to the hospital. I received a phone call, and I head to the hospital. A baby's been born. So I go to the hospital to visit. And that day when I arrived at the hospital, it was Wendy, who is now my wife. She was a single mom, and Hannah had been born. So I remember praying for Hannah praying that God would use her to change the world and that she would be a remarkable uh, young woman of God. Of course, had no clue what God had in store. Years would pass, about five, and one night on a Sunday night, I look across the aisle at church, and when I do, I see Wendy, and I'm like, whoa, one of those, right? And so I see her, and I'm like, whoa, and so... That night, uh, maybe about an hour later, hour and a half later, I didn't waste any time after church. I, I, I see her, and I, I, I'm where she is at someone's home. So I call her out, and I said, listen, I'd like to talk to you. And she will tell you she thought she was in trouble. Um, I was like, what the heck have I done? And so <clears throat> she said, what is it? And I said, well, I mean, straight up, this is how I ask this question. Don't recommend this. It's just what I did. 
I said, listen, I need to ask you something, and I wouldn't ask you this if I didn't intend for you to be my wife. And she looked at me like, what just happened? <clears throat> she said, okay. I said, will you go out with me? Will you pray about it for a week and let me know? So she prayed. She said, yes. And we started dating. Six, six months later, engaged. Seven months later, married. I asked her to marry me on December 23rd. But I bought two rings, one that fit her and one that fit Hannah. Tiny little diamond. And I got down on one knee and I placed that ring on Hannah's tiny little five-year-old finger. And I said to her, will you let me be your daddy? And she called me Joey. And she said, yes, Joey. Wendy and I got married, and a year later, Hannah became Hannah Elizabeth Lewis. I adopted her. I cannot describe to you the nights I prayed for that girl. That even now, she is a 24-year-old. All through the day, she dances through my mind. I wonder how she is. She has a hard job. I wonder how she's doing. When she has to be in court with her work, I wonder how she's standing up to the pressure. <clears throat> I prayed more prayers for her husband, the man that God would bring into her life. Wendy and I were sitting in the front of the house the other day, and all the way in the back we heard Hannah's very distinct laugh. She has a very distinct laugh. And I looked at Wendy and I said, when I hear that, I know everything's okay in her world. I cannot imagine my life without her. She's my, she's my girl. She's my daughter. And Jesus said, if I being evil, know how to give good gifts to my kids. How much more does the Heavenly Father, who isn't, know how to give gifts to you? He adopted you. He adopted you. He chose you. He made you his son. He made you his daughter. And today his thoughts toward you, you couldn't even comprehend if you knew them. When you woke up, you were on his mind. He watched you sleep. He's ordered your steps. He loves to hear you laugh. He wants all that he wants, which is the very best for you. His heart breaks when you stumble. Why? Because he's 
your dad. He's your dad. That's that's why we forgive. We have, have to know that we're adopted into his family so that we can learn some family rules, family culture. And one of those is forgiveness. His kids forgive each other. That's what his kids do. Millard Erickson in his systematic theology list the benefits of adoption. I'll share them quickly. Our team is coming. We're going to sing a couple songs. Forgiveness, number one. Number two, continued forgiveness. In forgiveness, initially, God is our judge and our jury, but he is also the one who dies for us. In continued forgiveness, he's our father. The third is liberty. You're free. You're in his good favor. The fourth is fatherly care. And every parent in the room knows this. The fifth is discipline. Hebrews 12 kind of discipline. If you're his boy, if you're his girl, when you stray, he'll come after you. Why? Because that's what good parents do. 